Warning. Broadcast from Undisclosed Holler, the Appalachian Mountains in Northeast Alabama. They're not hillbillies, they're just billies from the hills. This is the Alabama Sportsman's Podcast. On today's episode, we'll be talking with Charles Beatty, the self-proclaimed Prince of Poacher. Throughout the 90s, Charles would trespass onto the King and the Kennedy Ranch in South Texas and harvest world-class whitetails. Now, Charles has written a book called The Prince of Poachers Part 1 and now is in the process of writing Part 2. Whether you love him or hate him, one thing about it, Charles has a very interesting and thrilling story. So here he is, Charles Beatty. If people don't know who you are, this is Charles Beatty. He was the Prince of Poachers, self-proclaimed and out of uh, South Texas, and he has got one wild story, one heck of a story. Crazy story. And, and, and it, it's, uh, it's a very controversial story, and I know a lot of people don't agree with it, and he don't agree with it anymore. It's something he doesn't do anymore. But it is a wild story, and I love hearing the story, and I think you will too. And, Charles, we really appreciate you being on today, man. Well, I appreciate you having me. And no, no problem. And uh, we tell everybody – First of all, about your book. Just tell us about how, how, how can they get your book, first of all. Well, I've got a website. It's www.princeofpoachers.com is how they find how to order the book. Okay. You know, but, uh, you know I, I'm from Fort Worth, Texas, and uh, when I was 19 years old, got a job offer in deep south Texas and Kingsville, big major taxidermy outfit put me on down there. And, met all those little outlaw deer hunters and i'd went to try to get a legal hunt out of the king ranch it didn't work out and about a, you know six eight months into it and some failed daily something when that next season came these outlaws taught me to jump in the king ranch fence and from there i moved south to the kennedy ranch under the big live oak canopy for safety you know just better odds in my favor to get away with it right once i got in under those live oaks you couldn't getting me to stop going i got addicted to it you know seeing those big bucks come to a rattle was just better than heroin sex anything combined i got hooked and uh, i just you know lived for it you know just got a divorce so i'd be free to do that from then on full time i didn't care about nothing <laughs> he forgot you know, about the women about, and everything yeah. didn't you that's it I, I threw the talent on a marriage and lost my first son too just to be free to get to outlaw deer hunt until I didn't know when. I didn't think it would ever quit. Right. Yeah, but it finally came to an end. Yeah, I understand. Well, uh, what, on, on your first hunt, I know in your book, we read your book, and uh, you talked about the King and Kennedy Ranch. Uh, and, and those who hadn't read the book, if you get the book or when you get the book, you got to get this book. It's an awesome uh, book. Yeah. Great. And tell tell everybody why you chose, you preferred the Kennedy over the King. Well, the safety. I got a, I had a real close call and was pinned down in a grassland pasture of the King Ranch in one lone pile of cactus. And they just pulled a cattle roundup on that pasture that day. And they pinned me down with horse riders and helicopter. They had not seen me when I spotted them. And uh, I just had to lay in that cactus three and a half, four hours while they rounded up those cattle and, and pulled out of there. But, you know, that shook me, and I said, I don't think I can do this in this open country anymore. i got to get something else going, and I met a man at the tax taxidermist shop. He owned a, a section, a half a section. The, the uncle owned half. He, he and two brothers owned the north half, and you know, he invited me to trade some taxidermy to go in there with him, and once I got the inside scoop on that Kennedy Ranch and that canopy of that live oak, it's like, you know, 18 to 20 square mile area of solid live oak. And right. when I got the inside scoop on that, you felt so safe in there. You didn't leave tracks unless it had been raining and only on crossing sandy breaks. It was just a paradise bird nest on the ground. You know, it was so easy to get away with. And I found the deer to be bigger. I found them in those live oaks to have more mass and more non-typical racks. Right. And so I, I just threw anchor on it, you know, and couldn't wait till December 1st every year to go after them and, they're coming to horns good by then. Sometimes first, second, third, last day of November, they'll start kicking up if weather gets there early. Right. But they'll rut with weather trends through January. Now, in fact, when I finally got caught, I got caught February the 6th. They were still coming to horns. I was wow. still rattling up bucks. Dang. What uh, What year was this? 
1998 is when I got caught. Well, what, what year did you start? Well, I moved to Kingsville in 1976. Okay. And, um, you know, I was mountain quail pen raised quail for this outfit and i was mounting about a thousand quail a year and i'd do that in six months and then i'd hunt and fish the rest so i didn't you know i don't care much about saving money i just had enough to get me through the hunting season and what fishing i did and uh you know kingsville became my home for seven years and right. i decided to move back to fort worth and you know get away from the monotony i kind of got monotonized mounting all those quail right i wanted to branch on off into some you know back to my animal taxidermy too although i've been primarily bird work most of my life i knew how to do fish and, and game heads real well too I've right been trained years early when i was 14 years old i worked at a shop in arlington texas and mounted 85 deer heads my first year i ever learned how to do deer wow. right that's awesome and so yeah, I just came on back to Fort Worth, try to get bigger, better opportunities financially. But I would still go down there and hunt during the latter nine years. I, I had a spell there for six years with that shop of my own, tax shop, and I didn't hunt. I went to church, had a real bad divorce. Ended up going back for nine more years and 75 more trophy deer, you know, taking, of all things, Two police officers kicked it off. One taught me into doing it. His best friend just had to go next. And, you know, they killed Dream Bucks, saw the hunt of a lifetime. And, you know, I hunted that last nine seasons till I was caught in 98. And that's when it all came to an end. In 98. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, when you're talking about those uh, cowboys and stuff getting on you, <clears throat> I know you in, in the book you talked a little bit about that. Well, tell the listeners – you know, during that time, because 98, there wasn't a whole lot of cell phones and probably didn't have cell phone service way out there. If they would have caught you, what what do you think would have happened? Well, game ones catching you is one thing. Those King Ranch Cowboys catch you out there, you know, anything could probably happen. When you read in the book, I had, you know, the, the, the ranch was well aware of who I was, what I was doing. And as they became more aware of it, they sent me a message at a dance one time. They said, you know, when we catch him, they sent a guy over there to tell me. I said, when we when they catch you, they said they're going to stretch you between two cowboys and they're going to kick your guts out. Dang. And I said, yeah. really? He said, That's, they want you to know that, Charlie. And I said, well, then you give them a message back for me. I said, if they do that, if they do catch me and if they do beat me up like that, I said, you tell them, go ahead and kill me. Because if they beat me up like that, I'm going to go buy as many case boxes of 22 hollow points as I can carry in my backpack, and I'm going to walk through the ranch at night until I've shot them on the guts of every cow I walk up on in the dark. I mean, I didn't take them threatening me like that. It, it really hit me wrong. So I think at that point, I became public enemy number one to those ranch securities and the game wardens, and it just set a bonfire on my name, and they were out to get me from then on. They were really out to get me. Well, I mean, there's a lot of close calls. Right. Well, how, how big is actually is the Kennedy Ranch actually, or or the King's well, Ranch? like I say, it's it's 20 miles north to south and about the same east to west, and you know, 440 thousand plus acres. Now, how would they even know that one man was on that much land? There were a number of people that would jump the fence and go in there, and if they could pick up tracks shallow, they'd try to get on them and stay on them. But if you were going deep for days like I did, they didn't have much of a chance of catching you. Odds are they would have never caught me when they did if they weren't tipped off. I had a guy take me in a boat across the bay, which I hardly ever did. Right. And he was up on revocation of probation, and he set me up to get a lesser suspension you know suspension of his pro probation they're going to revoke him and put him in prison so to you know get less time and hope to get let loose by the next deer season to be an informant again he cut a deal he had me set up from the start right i didn't see it coming because he was such an outlaw you know outlaw fisherman deadbeat alcoholic drug addict i didn't figure there was any way he was on the side of the law but it turned out he was just taking care of himself by setting me up yeah right, right well um when just to tell everybody real quick i know you've said a lot in just this little bit do you condone do you do you condone outlaw hunting you know poaching or spotlight or anything just to let everyone know well what it amounts to is it ain't worth it anymore right you know when i was starting out doing it it was a small fine I, the maximum fine was around two hundred dollars 
you know, it was a slap on the wrist compared to the thousand to fifteen hundred and maximum big buck country in Demi County, twenty five hundred a gun per season. You know, if you got caught and it was a two hundred dollar fine, big deal. But it's jail time now. It's loss of, you know, firearms. You you lose your right to bear arms, you have a felony on you, you're in trouble. So if you love to hunt, you can't risk it. Because if you got caught, you hang. And, you know, they're not cutting any kids slack now. The law is what it is, and they're putting these kids in jail. So so what's your your advice to young people, especially young 20s? Don't do it. I wouldn't do it. After this bout with cancer, I would advise them not to drink, don't chew tobacco. There's a lot of things I'm against now at 64 after I've been beat up with this cancer. It'll change you. Skin cancer cures sin cancer. I heard I'm through with anything that's detrimental to my health. If I wanted to live, I had to give it all up. Well, how long have you been battling cancer? 17 years plus. How How is it coming? Well, I'm just about at the end of it, but that's it's awesome. been tough. It's been a long uphill battle. What do but you say? In, what do you say it, to all the people on social media that when they talk, when you know you you post stuff about your skin cancer, what do you say to all the negative people? I know there's haters everywhere. What do you say yeah. to those people on there that start bashing you, saying they're glad that you got it because of the stuff you've done over the life of your life? What do you it, say to those people? Well, if they knew me, they'd love me, but yeah. because they don't know me, and you know where there's envy and malice, there's every other evil work. Seems like to me, they'd done the same thing if they knew what I knew and was where I was at, and they're just jealous. They didn't the ones that got to kill the big deer I shot, <laughs> but they. <laughs> They would have it done all it boils too. down to jealousy, doesn't it? <laughs> so they hate me for the same love that they have for big deer in the outdoors. They hate me for having gotten to do it on an upper level like that. And they would have done the same thing I did. You know, they're throwing rocks at somebody they'd like if they knew me. You know, people people who love to hunt, like, like I mean, I, I, I'm obsessed with it. It's always landing here. but And I know a lot of other people that are too, but... You know, I, I've been reading that over in Europe, uh, Eastern Europe, that the poacher is, uh, they they love the poacher over there. He, he's sort of like a folk hero. <laughs> yeah. but, but because, you know, you got the crown that owns the game there. You know, it's, it's the king's animals there. You know, King's deer. And so they sing, they got a bunch of folk songs about poachers over there. It's like he is, uh, you know, he's, he's on another level. He's like a Robin Hood to them, a poacher. Yeah. Is. Yeah, I've, you know, I've got people that are behind me for having done what I did. And they know I have a reason to quit, and they don't blame me for quitting. You know, all good things come to an end. But, you know, they they sort of look at it like you're talking about. Like I took from the rich and gave to the poor. Every time I took a buddy of mine that couldn't afford to hunt anywhere big time like that, even the cops, they spent a fortune paying year after year for legal hunting, and it wasn't producing them a trophy buck. So they stuck their neck out one time and knew they'd never go again, and they went. And, you know, I did for them, with my knowledge, you know, down there, what they couldn't do with money if they'd have had money. Right. And I've taken millionaires that went that had never seen that kind of hunting for all the money they'd spent on it. Wow. And they, they both agreed. They, it was two different millionaires I've taken, and they said, these are the greatest hunts I've ever been on in my life. And one had hunted all over the world. Well, if they were paying to go on the King and Kennedy uh, <laughs> ranches, why weren't they getting the experience from the you know from the legal hunt than they were from you? Why weren't they getting those hunts? Well, some of those hunts early on when they opened it up were five thousand dollar three to five day hunts, guided hunts, and you set the date and you go on the weather. Whatever the weather is limits you to what you do. Correct. If you don't have a good weather trend, you can hunt the King Ranch, you can hunt the Kennedy Ranch, and you can come out of there with a 146-inch eight-point buck, and that was all you had a chance to kill that was of any size at all. Weather can shut them off. Your hunting is subject to what kind of weather you have. Right. Even there. So you know, I, they can you know, pay all that money and go home with a small cub buck. Right, right. Yeah, nobody wants to do that. So out out no. of out of all those years that you you know you done the outlaw hunting that you call it, uh, how many how many bucks do you think you killed? You and and well, and, the, and the people you guided, you know, what do you think yeah, that took? One hundred and sixteen total were was the number of you know the deer I brought out. With you, counting you, all the friends right. I took, the bucks okay. they killed. 
you know, I, I might have topped that with camp meat. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, um, uh, what about the exotics in there? I mean, um, tell us a little bit about that. Tell tell the listeners what you know why there's exotics in there. I mean, they, all the King and Kennedy's low fence, right? Yeah, and the only exotic there was the Neil guy. And, you know, they've got some high fence traps now. I've heard they've stopped Gims Buck and Oryx or whatever. The kudus seem like I heard someone said he Kudu thought bucks. they had kudu. But I only went on one, you know, hill country exotic hunt. I right. posted a bunch of antelope in the in the West Texas Trans-Pecos. But the exotics never appealed to me. They, they just weren't a trophy to me. But we went up there and had some summer fun, you know, July fun. And, you know, got tangled up with a game warden up there, and he was going to put it on us. And, and boy, it's a really funny story. I call that Hill Country Hilarity. But I remember. And we ended up putting it on him pretty bad and yeah. got a black buck and left the area. And I'd made one other hunt with a good close friend of mine following that and shot a sack and an axis. But, you know, it was just fun and games in the summer when you couldn't hunt big whitetail. That's right. Something to do. Well, out of all – we're we're in Alabama. We got millions of acres, you know, a lot of land here, a little over a million acres. Something I cannot remember the numbers, but anyway, of public land. What what's the public land hunting like out in Texas? It's over in the East Texas Piney Woods is where most of this what they call top two, you know, hunting. Right. And I've got a story coming in part two that I can I can tell you that one. It was like sticking your you know life on the line to even be in those woods. I'd never been, but after I started going to church and quit outlaw hunting that first year, after, you know, I, I didn't post for six years, but the first year I was trying to quit poaching or had, my boss, the one that got me in church, he said, come on to East Texas and we'll show you how to do it legal. We get out there and there's a camp about every 300 yards or less up and down these roads in and out of the Piney Woods and, you know, mostly partying going on and it, it was solid shooting. I mean, from the moment I got out of the vehicle till daylight, people were up all night drunk shooting guns around their camps and stuff. Yeah, and the next morning, I wanted away from that, so I bailed and went way down in the deep, you know, timber, and I got down in the swamps, and I got in some rolling country, and I rattled up a buck, and it was coming to me, to my rattle, and a guy shoots it right over the hill from me, 30 on six, and I go over the hill and look, and he goes, man, he was coming right to your rattle. He said, uh, you know, can you loan me your knife? I've, I've never, you know, shot a buck and never gutted one. I didn't have a knife. And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll gut it for you. So I gutted it for him, rinsed my hands off in the bar, the water there in the ditches. And I said, all right, I'm going to go on hunting. So I go and I, I make about three miles of this old creek that I got on and went down it. Mm-hmm. I hit a fence. And when I hit that fence, it had a big posted sign on a great big tree trunk. And I stopped there and looked and read that sign, and then I turned to take a step away from it. And when I did, this old man come out from behind that tree. Wow. And he said, yeah, you better not come over here. I've got a gun. And I said, old man, don't start talking tough to me. i got a gun, too. Yeah. And I yep. started walking off, and he said, well, I'm sorry. And I said, yeah, I haven't got time to hear about it. So I walked up and got in some high country, and I started seeing rubs and scrapes. So I got serious, yeah. and I started rattling. I heard the brush breaking, and then two guys come out with the guns on their shoulders pointing at me. And I go, hey, I'm over here. And they go, man, we thought you were two bucks fighting. I said, I know what you thought. <laughs> so I threw in the towel. I said, I'm through. I'm getting out of these woods. You, you know, I could hear shots going off constantly. Every split second, shots were being fired right. that I could hear. So I head back to camp, and I run into these five guys from Houston on four-wheelers. And they were already throwed anchor partying, smoking weed, drinking beer. You know, when in Rome, do what the Romans do. So I, they gave me a beer, and they were passing a joint. And they all started telling these, this is really funny. They started telling these stories about the bucks they'd killed. Right. And, you know, at that time, I had killed 18 really big deer in South Texas, every shape they'd come in. And I was about uh, 27 years old. Well, they looked at each other's pictures and bragged on their eight-point co-bucks and stuff. And they're proud of them. That's great. And uh, finally, they all started looking at me. And, you know, they said, I said, they said, well, I said, well, what? They said, you ever kill any big deer? I said, well, I guess you could say I've shot some big deer. I've shot them with double drops, double eye guards, double handlebars, double forks, 25-inch spreads, 20 points. 
I said, I guess you could say I've killed one in about every shape they come in. <laughs> and they looked at each other, and they started looking at, you know, like, this guy's a nut. Yeah. And uh, they said, got any pictures? I said, no, don't got any pictures. They said, where'd you kill him? I said, I used to be a poacher down on the King Ranch, Kennedy Ranch. Really? Yeah. And you ain't got no pictures of them. No. I don't got any pictures. Well, I had told them about rattling up that little eight-point buck for that guy. Right. And uh, they didn't believe that either. They said, show us the blood on your hands. I said, I washed my hands off in the ditch, and the water flooded along that, that boggy slough down there. Yeah, right. So we started out there. They said, we'll give you a ride on back one of these four wheelers. I said, fine. So I got on the back of one of them, and there were trees down over that road. So often people would cut them to try to keep people from getting back there in that area. Well, they'd have to stop, go over those pine tree trunks, and then get moving again. They hit one when I wasn't watching and threw me off back that four-wheeler on purpose. If I hadn't had my backpack on, they would have probably hurt me. Right. But we got back going. They were, I saw them winking at each other. Well, they got up there to a fork and said, all right, we're going to split and go that way and check for tracks. It's right before dark. And they said, we've got to figure out where we're going to hunt tomorrow. And I said, all right, thanks for the ride. I think I can find my camp from here. It's got to be on this road to the left. So sure enough, I started off. I said, I'm going to get something to drink. So I pulled the jug out of my backpack, started drinking. And they went up a little ways, and they turned around, and they came back by. Two of them did. On, oh, I, I left out one part. We saw the guy with the buck. Oh. He was driving by in a Suburban with it up on top with another buddy of his at that point. And he goes, hey, there's that guy that rattled up this buck for me. Well, they were <laughs> looking at each other real funny then, like he was telling the truth about that. Right. So then we get split up. They go up, turn around. Two of them went, three went one way. Two came back towards me. And they were about 100 yards from me, but it turned off glass steel about this time in the evening. And I could hear everything they were saying, talking over those four-wheelers. And one of them said to the other one, he said, you reckon that guy really killed all them big deer he said he did? <laughs> and the other one said, hell no, that's the line of son of a bitch you will ever meet in your life. <laughs> and so well, when part two, what they, thought. <laughs> yeah, when, when they were from Houston. When part two comes out, if any of them boys are still alive, then – this time, you know, I'll buy the beer. You know, they, they, they can come up. And, and boys, I got pictures now. That's right. <laughs> you got them now, don't you? Well, they can read the whole thing in the book, can't they, Charles? Yeah, I'm, I've titled that chapter Uncivil War in East Texas. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's it's the same way. It's the same way over here in Alabama, you know, when you hunt public land. I mean, it sounds like a war. It does. Right. Opening day of gun season at Chakalaka is war zone. Chakalaka, Charles, is a management area over here where we're close to where we live. And it's a, it's a really big management area, and it gets a lot of pressure, especially from people up north. I mean, they love that place, so it gets it gets shot out. We get a ton of out-of-staters come to Chakalaka management yeah. area and hunt. That especially turkeys. Eat. Yeah, turkeys too. Yeah. Oh, man. You're crazy about turkeys down here. But, well, uh, all that senseless shooting over there, you know, it couldn't have been – shooting at game that it was just people checking their guns shooting the campfire shooting cans beer bottles. Well, people, was, people, get, people get to drinking and you know stuff yeah. like that and they just start shooting that's right that's all it was they were all getting drunk in camps and stuff and i, I didn't go over there to do that i went over there to hunt yeah it right. gets aggravating you know hey do you still hunt i haven't done a lot lately um in 99 i went 2000 i went to work for a, a girlfriend of mine's uncle down there in Glen Rose, below Glen Rose at Walnut Springs in the Hartzell Ranch. And he had 30, about 2,500 acres there to two different pastures. He had some exotics. He had some whitetails. I guided. I met Ted Nugent there and got to guide him. And, yeah. You know, I, I've had a lot of fun doing that, but it was just a job, you know. Right. And uh, as, as that old cancer took me further down, it turned into like half a day's work every day is about all I could put in. And, you know, just setting up the feeders and helping old Tom put hunters out and sit with them you know I, I didn't hunt for myself you know right i'd kill a little meat deer every now and then with my longbow for fun just you know and eat but that was about all i've done i hadn't done any real hunting in 20 years wow what did you uh what happened to all the this is for the listeners what what happened to all your racks and stuff well part of the story coming in part two is when i quit poaching and went to church i turned all my heads in okay i mean god was working on me to put some teeth in my testimony and you know first thing they say happens to you when you get religion is you lose your mind 
Mm-hmm. Well, I don't believe that's true. What happens is everybody thinks you have because everything you used to do, you quit doing. And you, even in my case, you know, I, he told me to turn those heads in and I did. And it freaked out everybody. And I mean, I even had some, a few of them over a banker in a pharmacist's house, just letting them enjoy them. And boy, they got scared. And, and when they heard and they came up, here's those damn heads. Don't send the game orders down to our house. We don't want any part of all this turning in these illegal deer stuff. I mean, it scared a bunch of people. Right. But uh, I had no intentions to ever go poaching again. But after six years, and a backstabbing buddy seducing my wife out from under me and you know, mm. real, real bad divorce. It's a Ben and Crockett divorce. Lost my son. I was pretty bitter. State of Texas giving her custody on her lies. And so, you know, I didn't think I'd ever go poaching again still. But this cop come in there, and he's a friend of mine being a taxidermic customer. I knew him and his best friend. And he just started pushing on me with another buddy of mine telling me, yeah, take him, you know. Right. And I ended up taking him. And once I went, it was back on for me. That's exactly what I needed to get over the divorce and the loss of my son. I mean, my spirit soared on that first hunt. And what's funny is (laughs) we were on our way back. We get pulled over by Highway Patrol, and we had all these heads caped off in the backpacks. (laughs) Highway Patrol pull us over. They made him put his hands up behind his head because they thought he might use his knife on his belt on him. Well, they pulled the knife, and then they said, all right, show us your ID. He pulls a badge, and it's over. They said, all right, (laughs) see y'all later, you know. So we get almost to Arlington, and this cop says, now, look. He said, I don't know if I can tell my partner. He said, we're pretty close, but he is by the book. He said, I'm going to have to think about it. And I said, that's your call. Well, I hadn't been in my shop one hour. And the other cop calls me and he said, is this the world's greatest white-tailed deer guide? And I said, you got him. I recognized his voice. And he said, you got to take me too, man. I've seen the bone. I've seen the wood pile. He said, you got to take me. So he goes and uh, in a four-day hunt, he kills a 174 Pope and Young 14-point deer. And, uh, you know, just the dream hunt of all dream hunts for him. And, And at that point, I began to take old high school buddies and, you know, people that had never been on that level and just start, you know, you might call me the founder of the feast, like old Curly Bill Brocious in the movie Tempestone. I just made it happen for a lot of people that otherwise would have never seen whitetail hunting on that level. I got a bigger kick out of seeing them kill a big dream buck than shooting one myself. Right. It, yep. it was my new normal. Why do you think, yeah. why do you think that uh, the bucks grow so big in South Texas like that? I mean, because... I mean, it's just scrub land. So why do you think the bucks are so big on the King and Kennedy? Well, the only explanation I have is that they were put there to start with, but the uh, dry years can produce them as well as the wet years. And the the old-timers will tell you that. They'll say, look, I've seen them on bone dry years when the only thing grew was mesquite, and they'd be forced to eat nothing but the mesquite bean. Right. And it that pure protein bean was just put on these big old massive racks, and they'd say, "Don't ride off dry years. That's when we've killed some of them old grinders." Right. So you know, it, it's uh, that's just God put them there, and they're there. I will tell you this: that when the screw worm eradicated the whitetails nearly to extinction in South Texas in the western part, Harry Truman cut a deal after they got the screw uh, the blowflies. You know, that little screw worm. Uh, it, a butt fly. Earl, yeah, when they dropped all them sterile male flies, sterilized with uh, radiation. Yeah. And Harry Truman cut a deal. Not too many people know this. Harry Truman cut a deal with the president of Mexico. And he stopped that whole trophy belt where the big bone and crockett deer come from. They're just like Mexico deer. That's what they are. Right. That's what he did. He brought them over and restocked all the regions that were, you know, the deer were just nearly eliminated in. So now what you have in that western side of South Texas is those Mexico imports. And so they've got the big black body, nothing like the coastal deer, nothing like the King Ranch deer, nothing like those sandy deer along the coast. They're black brush bucks. And most of those are from Mexico. And that's where the Boone and Crockett's come from, the typical book deer and you know, a lot of the 200-inch-plus deer. Right. So, you know, there was a – it's only in that area. It's in that red dirt belt. 
And that's where the, those places you see those counties in that section there from Laredo back up north around the Eagle Pass, all those big deer, you know, Webb County, Dimmick County, Maverick, um, that Faith Ranch is about where those big, big bucks body-wise slow down and they start getting into some of them West Texas-looking deer that, that weren't a part of what I'm talking about. But those big black deer in that brush country, those are Mexico deer. That's their bloodline. Right. And I've hunted over there some, too. Over in Mexico? No, I've hunted over in the west oh, side west of Texas. South Texas. Oh, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, wow. Not out in west Texas, on the west side of South Texas. You know, Carriza Springs down to El Indio Road, at Mines Road on down to Laredo. That, that country's got the biggest deer in South Texas. What because of those Mexico deer. What is, now that all this is over with, um, what do... What do people out in Texas, you know, like the Texas trophy hunters and stuff, do you ever, uh, do you ever have any like run-ins with them? Are they, ever, do they, are they, do they accept you now or do they, you know, still try to, you know, shun you a little bit? Yeah, I'm currently banned. They oh. let me sell my book the first two shows I was going to. And uh, the next year, last year, they, they uh, banned me all three shows until they review part two and see the redemption in my story and see if it's acceptable at that point. But I'm still under their ban. And the Safari Club International just bought Texas Trophy Hunters out. And really? then we were on, right. yes, then we're under this suspension of COVID. And so they canceled all three shows this year. Wow. But I'm not going to have anything else to do with them if they don't open up to me fully and let me have their magazine ads and the, and the lib listing on their website, the website listing that's where they really hurt me i sell 100 books a show big deal barely pay for going but i could have done good selling the book and reaching a lot of people with their website listing and their magazine ads but they've got me under a ban right so when i get part two complete in the next two to three months i'm gonna let them review it and if they don't accept me then you know i could see a lawyer right to go that route that's not where my heart's at. I, I just wished it would work out. Have you uh, have you thought about you know branching or have you went out? I know this COVID thing is all and all's been going on, but uh, you know, like over here in Alabama, we have the uh, World Deer and, uh, and Turkey Expo, uh, and they got a big one up in Ohio and got a big one in Georgia. Have you ever thought about hitting those shows with your book? Yeah, yeah, but not until part two's out. Gotcha. When I get both parts out, I will put it in a one piece hardback. But, you know, at that point, I intended to make the rounds. That's good. Yep. That's good. Well, tell everybody, uh, Charles, um, the, the leading up to you, your capture and, 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 and the day of the capture, tell everybody how all this transpired. Let's, let's, let's get to the listeners how all this come about, you getting caught the, the, the last time, the time you gave it all. Yeah. Up. Yeah, there's a, that's where my spiritual side of my story comes in because I'd grown tired of the poaching. The last three or four years, I'd done it basically by myself, year to year, and I was growing tired of it. I like being alone like that, but, you know, several years of it in a row, two or three weeks out there by myself, you're talking to the seed ticks and, you know, stuff when they get on you and, and <laughs> wood ants, and you decide that you want to come back to, you know, society, yeah. and I, I was ready to give it up. I didn't see that it was going to turn into a felony when it did, but that happened just right on time with what i did but i got along with god on the river fishing that summer and i said all right god i'm ready to give up that law hunting if you've got a plan for my life like you said through some people at the church let's get on with it i'm tired i'm tired of that law hunting i'll give it up and just get on with your plan so i was in the pelon seal in webb county two weeks before my arrest in the kennedy and i was you know looking trying to see where i was at and get a bearing by climbing a tree and while I'm up there in that tree, I hear this radio squelch, some static, some voices on the radio. And, uh, boy, I got down to that tree quick. And I think they'd seen me up there in it. And from about 300 yards away, this truck comes barreling down the Sendero right at me. I didn't know that Sendero was there. So when I ran, I ran across it right in front of the truck. He was probably 200 yards from me when I crossed. But I had these mop feet on. He couldn't see my, my tracks. But I ran up in this real heavy brush, and I heard the Spirit of God say, you will be caught this year. And I laughed and I said, right, they're going to catch the king. And he said it again. You will be caught this year. 
Well, I got back to Fort Worth and I, you know, thought I'm going to make one more hunt. I didn't know why, but I felt compelled. And when I got to South Texas, I still intended to go up and hunt the brush. But a couple of buddies of mine were starting to say, man, you ought to go hunt the Kennedy. They're all bunched back up and everything. You can hunt, hit the clearings and, you know, just pick cherry, pick the big ones. And I'm like, yeah, and I hadn't been hunting it for a couple of years for the most part. And I said, yeah, I guess I would. I'm, you know, I'm a little burnout on the brush. I guess I'll go to the Kennedy. And this guy that took me in the boat was making an offer to sound even sweeter. He said, well, I'll just take you for nothing. I, you know, I'd love to see you go do it. Well, he was setting me up. And so I got, you know, just derailed into the Kennedy. And when I get over there, I had heat. I mean, immediately. I mean, I had a truck run down the beach and I had a plane come on me and, you know, I was actually fixing to kill a real good deer that I'd already found, and I had to make a break and get under some brush, and when I did, I spooked that deer and three more, and there were five more bucks in this swale there, and then when I got up after the plane passed to make a break and get my pack and get the hell out of that area, I saw him running up a pipeline that I crossed, and just 600 yards away, all of them were big, but the one that I'd been after was taking up the rear and he had it all. He had everything but drop times, you know, 25 or so inch spreads, points sticking everywhere, big old massive horns. Just made me sick. But I heard trucks crawling that evening all in there as I went to two to three miles deep. And I thought, I'm going to have to make a break and go east and get them off my trail. I knew they had at least seen me get out of the boat and wade in. And so I thought, they know I'm here. I've got to outrun them. So I went about five miles east and then I dropped off about eight or 10 miles south. And, you know, the thing about them game wardens is they'll leapfrog. Once they get on a trail and they see which way you're going, you know, they'll try to put someone out in front of you and pick up the trail and, and then gain ground, you know, leaps and bounds a mile, two miles, three miles at a time. Well, that's what they did. They admitted to me and my journalist interviewing me, you know, a year later, they said, we tracked him 17 miles. But they were leapfrogging me, and, and they didn't find my tracks that first evening. They didn't find my tracks all day the next day. They didn't find my tracks till the third morning. When they found them, they told me where they found them, and they walked every bit of 17 miles to catch up with me. Wow. But what happened was I'd missed this real big, you know, monster deer the evening of the second day, and I stayed in that area that whole day trying to find that deer, that group of bucks he was with. And I couldn't, but I made a big old three-mile circle and then came back to my backpack. And, uh, you know, I, I got to my stuff, but I, I moved about seven or 800 yards from where I got back to my backpack. And I got down and rattled up a buck, took his picture. You know, I thought, I better go watch my back trail. I was going to kill some time till the sun got down in the west, and I was going to go west across a big prairie about four and a half miles and, you know, make camp and then hunt there i was gonna get out of that area entirely you know that's why i never got caught up until then i covered so much ground it had always been impossible for him to catch up with me well that's where i made my mistake was staying in the same area the third day you know gave him time to catch up with me well i watched my back trail about an hour and a half plus and they told me later at the courthouse that they had been right underneath me for two hours before they stumbled over me they just regrouped and came over the hill and there i was mm. and uh, so they didn't stay on my trail i'd made a big 300 yard circle in a heavy brush and then went up there to that point on the sand dune where i was you know waiting for it to get dark close to dark and then across that prairie well what happened was they just regrouped stepped up over that hilltop about 20 yards from me and one of them saw me first and goes, there he is right there. And I mean, they were yelling, get your hands up. And when I looked over my shoulder, there's eight men running in a wall right at me, wide open, guns on me, guns drawn, and yelling, get your hands up, get them higher. And I mean, like I told this other podcast group, I said, you know, you can only get your hands so high when you're down on your knees. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd actually heard footsteps of one of the wardens down below me in that you know, bottom, and I'd got up, got spooked, and I was going to move, but I'd heard the Spirit of God say, just sit back down 10 more minutes. Well, I needed about 10 minutes for the sun to go down, and I thought he was just keeping me out of that clearing. I didn't want the sun on me out there in that open, but um, he was trying to get me caught. Whenever they stood me up, I heard the Spirit of God say, I told you you would be caught this year. Mm. Well, boy, when I heard that, I was like, man, it's all over, I, you know. Is a step one of his plan was for me to get caught 
And there's been a whole lot more spiritual things line up with what's coming in the book. And, you know, I'm saving all that for when I get it out. But, you know, it was the will of God for me to get caught, bring it to an end, and go a completely different direction with my life again. I I haven't told this to the other podcast group, but I'm a third-generation preacher's son. My papa was a Baptist pastor for 54 years. My dad preached over 10 years. And there's a lot of people that say that the mantle has fallen on me. And even though I've been the prodigal son, as bad as one could get, you know, it's time for me to leave my mark. And it's it's going to be clear to everybody that that's exactly what's happening. When the, when the book's in, you know, when part two comes out and the book comes to an end, everybody will see my testimony. And, and that's the purpose God has for my life. Well, that's great, man. Yeah. Well, uh, when are, when would everybody be expecting this book? When can we expect? I'm, you know, I'm crunch time again, trying to get it finished in the next two months. I would like to have it late November, and I, I hope I can. I'm just gonna have to really tighten up. I've got another cancer treatment Monday morning. You know, kill this place in my solar place one more time, see if I can get the roots out and end it there. That's really the only big place I'm dealing with right now. Right. All the little places are almost gone. Great. I mean, I, I know I'm getting near the end because I'm starting to look at pretty girls again. <laughs> That's it. I'm getting well. <laughs> You're getting do you, back right. Do you still exercise and run and all that? Man, about nine years ago, that all came to a sudden stop. I thought this with about nine or 10 years of exercise, and that's what kept me alive. And the doctor said, if you hadn't have done that, you'd be dead. And then, you know, it came to a point where I was so exhausted, and the cancer ate these big, deep holes in my calves. And I got up the road 400 yards one morning, and there was this three or four-inch deep hole where this tumor died and rotted out. And, I mean, I come to a halt feeling like somebody buried a buck knife in the back of my calf and i said okay okay i'm gonna give the jogging up yeah and i I haven't been back to it in about eight years plus i need to start rehabbing my strength but i've just been on easy street you know waiting it out well um tell us about your uh your book is it going is it going to be on the new york times bestsellers list (laughs) part two might get her done i've got I've got some pretty strange off-the-wall stuff no one's going to see coming in part two. It has nothing to do with hunting. It's all about my testimony. And, you know, I used to say, well, why me? Why did I have this experience? Well, now that I've got the book out and it's the platform big enough to make a difference with it, that's why God let me go through this experience I had. And it's it's a shocker. Uh, It's going to rock the whole country. They're not going to know what to think of it. They can believe it or throw it out the window with the bathwater. It all makes sense in the end, doesn't it? Yeah, it really happened. And, I mean, I saw it, and you can't tell me otherwise. And when I describe it in detail, I don't see why anybody won't believe it. Everybody I tell about it in person, they're just pinned to the wall going, oh, my God, and I'm going to tell it. And this country needs to hear it. You know, judgment's right around the corner. This whole planet's fixing to be judged. And yep. it's just, I, I believe it's, that. You're right, bro. Yeah, it's, it's a sin mess. Well, I tell you, uh, have you thought, has anyone come across you and talked to you about making this into a movie? Well, all the time. I mean, all the time people are saying that, that you know, my backers, people that really enjoy the story. And, you know, they're saying this will be a movie. I had uh, one of the big names that has said that i was down in san antonio at texas trophy hunter that first year i was down there mm-hmm. and old buck medley you know he's yeah. a youtube sensation and you know, hunting all over the world and doing his thing in south texas too around san antonio he walked up he read the outline about the story he looked up and saw the banner and uh, he said this will be a movie and i said well it's got to be a book first and he goes no this will be a movie he said, I'm on TV all the time. I know what I'm talking about. This will be a movie. And, you know, we took pictures and I autographed him a copy. And, you know, that was very encouraging. And, and I've heard that over and over on the commentary, you know, of all the Facebook commentaries. That'll so, be cool, man. man. I tell you, you know, it's like we was talking before we started this, you know. You know, being in the South, you know, I, I, I know we, we don't condone any type of poaching. And I know you don't either because you already said, you, you know, talked about it but 
the thing is, you know, in the South, you know, we were we we're rebels, you know, we, you know, just the way we are, man. <laughs> it's it. just, you know, during the Civil War, during Prohibition, it's just we've always been rebels down here in the South. And, and people say, hey, do this, we do the other thing. Yeah, I mean, we're hard-headed, we're rebellious. You know, you're not going to force us into anything, especially if we don't want to do it. And yeah, uh, you know, in, in, in the in the book, when you talk about people coming after you with helicopters. Uh, and you talk about the mop feet, you know, I know we didn't get into that on, in, in this episode right here. Maybe, you know, maybe another time, but, uh, the, the mop feet, you, you line in your, uh, sleeping bags with aluminum foil to keep the, the, uh, night vision or the heat seeking and stuff off Clearing of you. All that, yep. I mean, it is amazing. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a wonder. Did you ever, I, I, I'm going to jump back right here, chase a rabbit on this. Did you ever come across any of the cartel? No, I've seen drug runners. I right. saw six drug runners backpacking the hall of dope, you know, about 10 or 11 miles off the highway. But, you know, uh, I never saw them packing machine guns with cocaine or something. I guess these guys had big bundles of bricks of weed or something. You know, there's no telling. They might have had some kilos of cocaine, but they knew where they were going. They'd been there plenty of times. They were just beelining their trail. They knew well. And I got their picture wow. when they passed. Yeah, after I ducked us down and they passed, I run back up the top of the hill and took their picture as they were walking north away from us. Wow. Wild, See, stuff like that, they could put that in a movie. Golly, man. You know, especially, you know how they, they exaggerate a lot of movies. You know, that could be, <laughs> that right there could be, a, you know, I feel like y'all had a confrontation or something in a movie. I mean, that, that whole book is just amazing. And, and yeah, people, li people listening to this right here, I mean, if you have not read this book, you need to go – to uh charles's uh website and get this book i mean i don't care if you agree with it or not most people don't charles don't agree with it i mean it's it's a different time and different animal but i tell you what if you want to be entertained if you watch half the crap that you watch on netflix and all these other places right now you'll will you will enjoy this book yeah there's a lot of funny things in it, it you know it's not all serious it's, it's just a lot of hilarious stuff that happens throughout it but you know, part two is going to be way more full of action and stuff. It, it's really, you know, double the fun, maybe triple. It's, it gets really crazy. You know, taking the cops, taking the world-renowned hunting consultant. It, there's some stuff coming in part two that just blow part one away, but part one is good. It certainly is good. It really know? is. I mean, when you when you pick it up, you can't put it down. Nope. Right. I read it cover to cover. I did too. Yeah, that's what happens to everybody. I even let a game warden read it a rough draft, and he he read it, and I saw him a few weeks later, and he said, my wife kept trying to get me to come on to bed, and I finally told her, look, I'm not coming to bed. I'm going to finish this. And <laughs> I heard now they're divorced. Now, he told me that she wouldn't have anything to do with him for two weeks, but, uh, you know, I hope it didn't lead to their divorce. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> That's hilarious. I, I, I will say this. Hunting's probably led to a lot of divorces over the years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It yeah. ain't my fault, you know. <laughs> but me and that old head game warden in Kennedy County, old Mike Fain, he's passed away now. But we agreed. You, you can't hate a man that loves to hunt. Them guys all like me. I liked all of them at the courthouse. You know, it doesn't matter if it's an outlaw or a game warden. You can't hate a man that loves to hunt. These people that say they hate me, would none of them hate me if they knew me. None That's of right. them. That's no, right. We we all got the same addiction. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I tell you what, I, I guarantee a lot of people that that will, you know, get on social media and bash <laughs> you about this stuff. I bet they got some worse friends and and done a lot of worse things than we ever thought about doing, or you either. You know. <laughs> they might even be some of them end up going down there and doing it. And when they get caught, it'll be pretty embarrassing, won't it? Because yeah, you, you know, when I was four, when I was fourteen. I played that conservation kick on these men that came in with about, I think they had 170 ducks and they brought them in on these lanyards and it was just solid ducks. You couldn't pick up one of them lanyards. There's so many ducks, most of them widgeons, but they'd gone outside and I thought they'd left and we'd got on them about game hogging. And so as soon as they walked out with the boss, he went outside to talk to him. I said, Hey Zach, quick, get the old shotgun, get the goose gun off the gun rack in the front room. Let's get the camera and take some pictures and, um, you know, we're, we're in there holding up them lanyards, taking pictures, and um, they come back in. They got him outside and was talking him into uh, mountain, some redheads were close season, and it's, you know, under the table. 
Right. Hey, I've got a podcast going right now. I'm cutting. My neighbors pull up and trying to give me a hog. They shot. I can't take it right now. I'm on the radio station. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I can't do it. I'm right in the middle of this podcast. Okay. Um. Yeah, they they was offering me a free hog. I got a hay farmer across the road. He brings me hogs all the time, and um, I just can't. I can't skin a hog tonight. Now, anyway, it's getting too late. Yeah. But they'll throw one on me every two, three months or less. Even this time of year, they put a freezer full. You know. Oh yeah. But um, now, um, let's see. Where was I? Uh, oh, we're they they came back in. <laughs> we're posing for pictures with all them ducks. Yeah. And they go, yeah. Yeah, big time conversation uh, conservationist. <laughs> we we got busted. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, all these guys running me down. If they knew where to go, they'd have gone. They may go now. I want to kill a big one. They seen my horns. They might want one that bad. You know, they go down there and get caught, and they'd, they'd be embarrassed. How much does it cost now to go on the King or Kennedy to hunt? I'm not exactly sure, but, you know, shy of $10,000 would be a guess. Uh, some of these, of course, a lot of these high fence places, they got polluted with too many big pen-raised deer. So what they've been doing is running these three and $5,000 specials for some of these 200-inch-plus deer, Yeah, you know, and just to try to keep them, you know, get something for them before they all die of old age. They're getting overstocked. Right. You know, I knew of a deal like that recently, but... The King and Kennedy Ranch is still probably some of the only free-range hunting available that's not high fence. And I know you can go on up oh, towards Eagle Pass, and there's, you know, from there down to Laredo, there's some more of it. But it's getting harder and harder to find low-fence free-range hunting. They're fencing it off everywhere, and then they're stocking it with imports and crossbreeding. And, you know, the true native Texas deer is just about, you know, pushed out. You know, the low fence free range is just not the same anymore. Wow. You know, over yeah. here over here in this part of the south, you know, it's well in a lot of a lot of the country, I'd just say just this part of the south because I that's where I live, but you know, you get mixed emotions when you talk about high fence, you know, a lot of people frown on it. I mean yeah. and I know in Texas it's a different story. And um why why do you think Texas is different than most of these other places when it comes to high fencing or you know, because a lot of people you know, a lot of people, a lot of people who love, you know, public land hunting or just free range hunting, they they look at high fence hunting like poaching. Yeah. And, you know, they say there's no honor among thieves, but all our outlaw buddies, we look down on those high fence hunters like they look down on us for poaching. Right. And, you know, the, the thing that got it out of proportion, I think, was the big city slickers just wanting to outdo their buddies and go back with a big deer. They didn't care if it was a phony canned hunt, hundred acre trap. They'd go kill this deer and pay this pen raised farmer and go home with a giant buck, stick it in their buddy's face and never tell them the truth. Right. You know, yeah. they just, they're phony. And then that got to be a market. Ha, and they ha, said, hey, what well, I can kill. Yeah. All these city slickers wanting to outdo their buddies. They didn't care. Kind of like that. To, to me as a young man, that's it's not alluring to just like pay i mean <clears throat> i mean i know people do it and they they like that stuff or whatever but to me paying to just go shoot something in a fence it's not hunting in yeah, my I'd, opinion. I'd rather bow kill a slaughter calf and have him butchered than to go <laughs> on it, pen race deer hunt. <laughs> that's it man yeah <laughs> i like i like hunt i like i like the act of hunting i like to find you know what i want to hunt and go hunt it you know well, you know, right. in, in this day and time, in this day and time, really, I don't care if a man buys a hunting license and wants to hunt in a pen. I don't care. No, you know, <laughs> with, if that's what with, he wants with, to do. With that's everybody fine. that's out there trying to stop the, our way of life, you know, if that man, if if poaching was legal, I'd say do it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, if that's what you want to do, go do it. You know. If they said you could spotlight, I'd say go at it. If that's what gets your cookies off, go do it. But yeah. you know, it's it's not well, that way. So. 90, 98% of the hunting I did didn't have anything to do with the spotlight. And right. what's sad is people think all of it did. A lot of people think I was nothing but a spotlighter. Right. But they don't have a clue what real outlaws do when they walk in going after that one select trophy deer and rattle up 150 to 200 deer on a 7 or 10 day hunt. And you shoot that one trophy deer, you might get lucky enough to get two on a big trip like that. But you're not spotlighting that's not the name of the game right you know i've done some of it 
it's thrilling, it's fun, it's not nothing to be proud of when it's over. There's no drama. You don't get to rattle the deer in. You, you know, you I rattle them up at night and shot them. You didn't hunt him. You shot him, you know? No, it's it's not a an accomplishment. You don't feel like you really achieved it. You didn't fool him. You know, you, you took advantage of him. I think that's the allure, that's the most allure, allure of hunting is you actually fooled that trophy deer you were after, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you got to beat them at their own game. That's it. That's right. Well, uh, do you... Do you condone poaching? You, you, you know, you just can't say that it's worth it anymore. I, you know, I couldn't blame any one man for saying, I got to have me one of them big deer and wanting to go. Everybody would, would want to if they knew how to do it and, and thought they could get away with it. But it ain't worth the risk. I'd go after an armored car full of cash first. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'd do something worth the 10-year sentence. Yeah. I mean, if I was going to risk going to jail for two to ten, I'd go after a two or three million cash. I wouldn't mess with another deer. Right. Nope. But, you know, it's over for me. They'd make an example of me. I'd get the ten years. Oh, yeah. They'd you know? Some, they, yeah, they'd definitely give you ten years just because. And if cash. I did one year in prison, I'd come out of there angry and I'd, I'd you know, retaliate. Yep. You know, if you go to prison for deer hunting now, you'll be the dumbest person there. And what are you here for? <laughs> deer hunting you're in prison for deer, deer hunting, hunting. <laughs> yeah. yeah but it's happening well i tell you, you know? i mean hey you'll get you'll get ser- more serious charges on deer hunting or just hunting violations than you will out there selling cocaine that's right exactly man that's, i mean prob- probably rapist are getting off lighter than you would right now if you went poaching and got caught with a big trophy deer on your backpack I tell you, man, this, the state the state does not play when it comes to wild game. Nope, they don't play. Uh, yeah. Well, so we can look forward to your book coming out hopefully around November. Is that what you said? I sure hope I've got it by December first. You know, I've, I've got it down to the wire. I think I can pull it off, but it's it's going to be up. You know, everything in me to pull it off. All right. It's really draining to to do all that writing. You know, when you've been through what I've been through, but I get sitting there alone and take my time to stall out, run it through my mind and pick back up and remember what happened. The, the way I've been able to do it is do it in chronological order. You know, when we're on a podcast like this, you just pull one out of the hat here and there and you're out of order. Some of those stories are hard for me to remember, and I probably completely don't even mention the good ones. But when I'm writing, I go, you know, by the date and go forward and it's funny i can at that point i can remember nearly every buck i saw on each of those hunts the ones that i remembered by their character wow. their rack or something it all comes back to me That's you crazy. know it's like i filmed it if i could play back on film what my eyes have saw in in, in all those years outlaw hunting it'd be worth millions of dollars right now I mean the the literally the thousands of deer. I would say I've rattled up over three or four thousand deer. Wow. My buddy George Moore probably rattled up more than I did. But you know that's just the country you're in down there. You go on a legal king ranch hunt, you look at three to five hundred bucks driving around, and you pick one out of that. But that's on an invitation hunt when you're getting to go to their private areas. But I think they're starting to have some shot out problems. I think they've leased some pastures and they've gotten shot down. So they're not getting the big deer like they were when they first opened it up. Right. Do you think on the, do you think on the Kennedy ranch, it's more age than it is anything as far as trophy bucks? Like I said, I saw more non-typical deer there. I mean, I've been on the refuge and seen a lot of big King ranch, typical type deer with some, some, you know, freak points, handlebars, some forks drop down on one. But, I saw more mass generally in the Kennedy on them acorns and live oaks. I, I don't, you know, but I think what it is is the, the canopy of the live oaks holds moisture in the ground even on a dry year, and there's underbrush. And I think they're bigger on dry years than the King Ranch, but that one old timer told me that ain't necessarily so. He said if it's real dry, then all they got's the mesquite bean. He said they'll throw heavier horns on it being forced to eat it only. I just don't know, you know. Well, ain't the old pro like some of them old men I knew down there that had seen a lifetime go by already. Right. Yeah. They knew they knew what the native deer did. Now it's hard to say with all the imports. I think the heat kills off a lot of these northern imports. That summer heat gets them. I guarantee. I think that, yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's they can't take the that heat. It's, that heat's rough in the south. You know? Yeah, that's when all them old big bucks die. It ain't a hard, cold winter that kills them. It's that hot summer. Yep. Smoke. Hey, it takes it takes a heck of a person to live down here in the south. That's why I so mean, many. Much uh, less as animals walking around with a fur coat all year long. That's why people in the south are so tough, man. We endure that crap every year. Yeah. Right. And and most people don't realize how hot it is in the south. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's brutal. Charles, man, we really appreciate you coming on, and we, you know, you gave us an hour here, and I know we could probably talk for four or five more, and maybe uh, after the next book comes out, we'll have you back on and talk a little bit more, and but uh, and I hope we get to see you at one of the deer shows coming up next year. You know, if we get yeah. this COVID thing behind us and everything opens yeah. back up, you know, we'd love to meet you and shake your hand and talk to you, and but uh, yeah, that that'd be. A- uh, for sure on summertime probably because by then i think they'll have that thing underhand that's right yeah we hope so so again tell tell all the listeners about the prince of poachers part one how to how to pick that book up it's just simply www.princeofpoachers.com is my website and you can go on there and, and uh, pay with any credit card you have paypal to whatever credit card you like and um, it's around 28 something for a copy of the book i've got some autograph copies too available for a little more i sit down and sign a couple hundred of them every now and then but um right now it's taking about two and a half to three weeks delivery the post office has just really gone to the dogs it's terrible right but you know i do ship them out every day except sundays well i follow you on social media also so tell tell the people where you at on facebook instagram and all that stuff yeah, Charles Beatty 330 on the Instagram. Okay. And then my Facebook uh, page is Charles Beatty Prince of Poachers. And, you know, there's a lot of short stories on there. But my Instagram page is where I've put up, you know, a lot more stuff. You know, I've got right. a lot more posts yeah. on that now. I've seen a lot of that. Let me ask you this real quick to close it out. Uh, I, I know you got a real good book and you've, uh, you know, it, it's, it's going to the top. So, have you have you met any famous people? Well, other than Ted Nugent and that old Buck Medley guy, I, I met some of Fred, uh, Ted's friends, but I haven't been able to get around much. You know, had I not been ill for the last seventeen years, I could have finished the book entirely, and no telling where all I'd have gone and with who, and not you know, opportunities to meet people. But you know, I'm pretty much of a simple guy. You know, I never thought I'd ever meet Ted Nugent, but it happened. And, you know, we talk once in a while. It's, um, it's you know, been an experience to meet somebody that was on the world stage as big as he was. I had some fun with him. I mean, when he first met me, we he took me to another ranch after we hunted there on that Hartzell Ranch and got him a big odd dad. And we're sitting in the tree and it got slow in the heat of the afternoon. And he said, so you're pretty famous here in Texas. Huh? And I said, Ah, maybe here in Texas. And we waited a minute, and I said, but don't forget, you're in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we had a pretty good laugh over it. That's right. What's your favorite song Ted Nugent wrote? Yeah, well, I think everybody's is probably Stranglehold. That's, you know? yeah, that's good. That's, good. that's probably the best one. That's right. And that, that one transcends time. It does, man. Hey, uh. I know this is a little political, but Trump or Biden? Now, say that again. I heard you say Biden. Trump or Biden? Trump or Biden? That don't deserve no answer, Hoss. <laughs> Let's just load up and move on. Yeah. <laughs> I said that because I was looking at your Facebook earlier, and I saw, I saw a picture of that girl in there wearing that Trump shirt. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just did three days in Facebook jail about a week ago. For hammering, yeah, I hammered Biden. Somebody had posted a three-photo shot of him turning and pulling this young girl up and kissing her right on the mouth in front of a podium somewhere. And, you know, all I did was screenshot it and add my own little twist, you know, and and I got jailed for three days. But, uh, you know, I said something to the effect that uh, that ain't Kamala. I said, hey, that ain't Kamala Harris. And and, uh, I I said, and Biden says back to it, yeah, and that ain't my granddaughter neither. (laughs) Yeah, but but they put me in jail for that. That's brutal. Facebook uh, jail. (laughs) I love it. I love it. (laughs) 
I love it. <laughs> you need to get with Don Jr. Y'all, I mean, he needs to start sharing some of your stuff. I mean, that, that, he loves crap like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I'd like to go on a bear hunt with Hank Jr. That Now, that'd be interesting. Trap, oh, yeah. yeah. That'd be fun. Heck, yeah, yeah. I would. Yeah, I'd like to go on a what they'd call a celebrity hunt. To me, my, my favorite celebrity hunt would probably be Jim Carrey, Randy the Dog Jackson, and Dwight Yoakam. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Dwight Yoakam, I, I've seen every That's concert the there is. Yeah, I saw every concert in the 70s, all the rock stars, and I saw Dwight Yoakam up in Amarillo. Yeah. And, I mean, Dwight Yoakam was the best concert I've ever seen anybody perform. Country rock, it didn't matter. He blew everybody away. Just put on a I've never show. been to a better show than Dwight Yoakam. I heard that. You know, it takes an acquired taste to like Dwight Yoakam, and I love Dwight Yoakam. I like his bluegrass stuff, man. If you ain't ever oh, heard yeah. his bluegrass stuff, it's it's awesome. But right. uh, it's an acquired taste. And I tell you what, man, he plays the best bad guy in any movie he plays in. I mean, he yeah. is. Man, that son of a gun plays some of the. I mean, when I say best, I mean, that son of a gun, he's not trying to be funny as a bad guy, but he is friggin' hilarious <laughs> as a bad yeah. guy. You know, I love him. Yeah, but, uh, that's Sling Blade. I've watched Sling Blade 25 times with a little girl that calls me daddy. She's not mine, but she grew up calling me daddy. And we sit there and watch Sling Blade every day. I don't know how many times we watched it. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. good stuff, man. I love that movie. But, Charles, we're going to let you go, man. I know you're busy. I know you got a lot going on. But I'll I'll be getting back in touch with you and uh, see how things are going and try to get another episode after Volume 2 comes out. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on with us, man. Thanks, Charles. Yeah, yeah I enjoyed it. My privilege and pleasure. Um, send me a link where I can listen to it. I sure will. No right, problem. Charles. Now, you take All care, right. bud. We'll see you. All see right. You, see you next time. All right. All right. I'll learn to trap and let the arrows fly. I'll learn to see beneath the moonless sky. To smell the faintest scent of prey. I'll learn to live the poacher's way. The beast is risen, I start to run I am a poacher, I am a poacher's son Son, I'm a poacher, I am a poacher's son Now rich men come and build their walls Around the woods where the pheasant calls Oh, this is my land, this is my home No fence for me, I've got to roam The keeper sounds the call and I'm undone I am a poacher's son Son, I'm a poacher I am a poacher's son They say I stole from king and crown And now in chains They lay me down